Welcome to Martial Parts. Where we talk about different parts of martial arts. With uh, Nolan Lacey. And, and his older and charming brother, Brent Lacey. <laughs> uh, so this is hopefully a new show on the Final Plank Network. We have been talking about this one for a while because Brent uh, has been doing martial arts for some time and I have been getting into martial arts myself, which we will discuss some more. But we we wanted to have more of a conversation about it. And what better way for two 30-something white guys to have a conversation than to record it and put it on the internet for people to listen to. So hopefully this is fun and interesting and gives everybody an introduction to things that we hold dear and enjoy and uh, hopefully <laughs> have some knowledge on. So um, did you want to talk about what this show's about a little bit? Just sure, uh, sure. our idea for it? So getting this show started, we had been tossing around some ideas about other shows to put on the Final Plank Network. Um, and we've got three already, which uh, run the gamut of how much work is required in like the scripting and editing and this sort of thing. And I, I don't remember exactly who came up with the idea of it was you or me, but like talking about um, martial arts, because we both have that in common. So I don't know if it was something to capitalize on or it's like, oh, this won't be hard to do. Like, <laughs> we'll just throw this out there. This is easy. So I think, I think you had brought up the idea of doing martial arts and, and I said, Hey, two people talking into mics is easy to edit. Right, right. No yeah. sound effects on this one. <laughs> I mean, we could. But. So the, 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 the fun juxtaposition that I was interested in is that for, for this show, we're, 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 we're kind of doing both sides of the, of the spectrum here, of, of the scales. Uh, so you're into yeah. uh, traditionally European martial arts. And yeah, I study uh, traditionally Asian or Eastern martial arts. Yeah. Um, I've been training for a little over two decades. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but, you know, feel like I know my way around a few of them. Um, yeah. And you've started, was it this year or last year? I mean, technically last year, it's January. Um, but I have only been in it for seven-ish months mm -hmm. now, six, seven months. But I have been playing with swords since I was a toddler. Sure, so sure. does that count? Sure. <laughs> we both have and and one thing i wanted to i want to highlight and also avoid is you know given our different amount of time in this i don't want this show to seem like it's one person having all the answers and the other person doesn't i want sure. i want to have two different perspectives i want to be able to highlight the perspective of somebody who has kind of grown up with it versus the the perspective of somebody who's who's already grown up and then coming into it, yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want the feel to be this is a, any type of lecture or that I have any, you know, hidden knowledge or anything like that. It's not, that's not the tone I want this yeah. show to take. And I feel uh, in in that vein that HEMA, the the study that I do, historical European martial arts, is geared more towards older people starting it. Whereas, you know, you, you kind of think of like tiny tots, Kung Fu or, you know, Taekwondo people send their kids to other martial arts as after school programs, which is kind of where you started with, uh, you know, the first school that you went to, wasn't it? That it, it, I mean, it was a hobby. Mom and dad wanted you to, to have a hobby, but it was kind of a, 
evening thing that you went in to to just do to to occupy yourself as a kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'll get more into this later, but you know that even that's a new development within the past fifty years of having kids train. Like you know, you sure. said with HEMA, it's mainly adults, and then traditionally, like any martial arts, it's it was a it was just that it was used for like martial combat. So having your after school programs like that's in the grand scheme of things, that's a very recent development. True. True. I kind of liken it to like, you know, teaching toddlers how to drive tanks. You normally wouldn't do it. (laughs) So the first person's like, maybe we should put some kids out here and have them try the bazooka. It's like, why? (laughs) Why? But but here we are. That's a, a fairly interesting point because one of the, not really disciplines. I, I don't. I don't know that they would break it up into disciplines. But one of the things that they teach at the club that I go to is called ringin, which is like this traditional wrestling. Is this like is this ring in or ringing? So it's it's like what's, it's R I N G E N ringin, and it's German for wrestling. Mm. A having, lot of having taken seven years of German, I should have nailed that one. <laughs> well, it's it's Middle German. It's not High or New German. It was seven so, yeah, seven years of German, but twelve years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that fades. That makes a difference. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's only a couple of full handbooks that really start like this is how you start ringing, and these are like stronger techniques because a lot of the masters just assumed by the time you were smart enough to use a sword where you might get into close combat as a German child, you've been wrestling your entire life. Mm. You already know this. So a a lot of the manuals that I've looked at, which again are fairly few, I I spend a lot of time on Wichtenauer, but most of them have like five or 10 throwaway pages of like, Hey, if someone grabs your collar, just break your finger and tell them to fuck off. Like there's, why don't you break their finger instead? Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Your words. Break your own finger. (laughs) I'm out of here. <laughs> it's an intimidation tactic. <laughs> Snap it in front of their face and just show them and walk away. But yeah, that's that's a thing. Like the ages of martial arts, you know, they, they expected you to know this stuff as a kid getting into yeah. the actual sword fighting. And I imagine in, in Asian, any sort of martial arts, like there was a base level of at least body movement and yeah. mechanics that you had to know before you could go to a school and they would start teaching you. So before we get too far into those type of details, the, the way that we, the way you and I discussed structuring this show was a three part, three parts to the show. Uh, yeah. The first part being just a weekly roundup. Like what have you done in the training hall this week? What's, what's coming up? What's, what's pertinent in your life on your calendar? Um, the second part being a little Q and a, where we just find out some things from the other person's perspective and then the third part of the show being like a deep dive. So the things that we really want to nerd out on, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So for the first episode, this being the, the first one we're doing, I figured for our roundup, um, maybe we could start with a little bit of what got or what, 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 what do you do? What do we do? Because uh, people who haven't heard this before aren't going to know what the heck we're talking about. So maybe we can do just kind of an elevator pitch or something about what, what you train in and What's the whole point of it? That sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't we start off with yours? Because I feel like it's going to be a little bit more in depth and interesting than mine. Well, I don't know. I'm <laughs> different. That's all. Don't um, want to. So I train in Tang Sudo, which is a Korean style martial art. Um, a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's very closely related to Taekwondo, 
what I tell people is if you see a person doing Tang Sudo and Taekwondo side by side, the only thing that'll give it away is their uniforms. Other than that, they're essentially the same. There's some differences in you know, goal setting and attitudes and what you hope to accomplish with it, but we'll get into that later. So uh, it's a Korean style martial arts stand up, a lot of punching, kicking, striking, some throwing, a little bit of grappling. And I own a studio. I'm a um, instructor. I have a small club here in town uh, and I've been teaching. We just celebrated our 10th year anniversary of the school being opened. We have a, a party every year, a little barbecue to celebrate. And I teach other classes around town, uh, some stuff that's like adjacent to Tang Sudo. I do some kickboxing classes. I teach self-defense classes. Um, I teach Qigong, which is closely related to Tai Chi, and we might get into that later. But I kind of do a little bit every single day. I'm either teaching a class at my studio or teaching a class at a rec center uh, or just practicing. Uh, I recently got my wife to start training. She's been in about two years so I get to beat her up or uh, train with her at the house uh, from time to time. So it's really kind of uh, seeped its way into all aspects of my life here. Uh, how, how about you? What's your what's your what's your routine? What do you how how involved are you with this? So they the the club that I go to practices like I said HEMA, and HEMA is a very broad term. Like the like Tang Sudo is a specific school of martial arts mm-hmm. right i mean right. there you have x y and z and that's what yeah. is classified as that hema kind of qualifies for any sort of western martial arts which is a, a much broader term that people use uh for training with a sword from i, I want to say they start at like the 11th century and they typically cut it off about the late 17th century mm-hmm. so any sort of Longsword, spear and shield, side sword, rapier, dagger, uh, rondel, you know, anything that you would typically think of as seeing in some kind of medieval renaissance period movie is is what they train. And just for clarification, HEMA stands for? Historical European Martial Arts. And uh, again, another term for it is Western Martial Arts. So you'll see WMA mm-hmm. a lot of places. It, there's a lot of masters that they train. They get the historical texts. That's really the distinguishing factor between some of these places that people see guys get fully armored up and they have a sword and it's kind of like rock'em sock'em robots and they just beat the crap out of each other yeah. back and forth. There's no real historical context to what they're doing. And HEMA, it's, it's I wouldn't say required, but they're looking for you to use techniques Specifically that you find. learning those techniques. Right, right, right. So I've been doing it for, I would say, you know, six, seven months at this point. Um, I go four times a week. Uh, I train with uh, rapier uh, half of that time. I do longsword the other half. Most of the time it's light sparring, a lot of technical things. We're looking at we're looking at the historical manuals if people have them. We're talking about them in context, why side swords kind of phased out into rapiers and why rapiers are... are more deadly than long swords and why stabbing someone in 15th century German was looked down upon and like a lot of things like that. So it's a bit of a history lesson too. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, honestly, it's kind of like a, a, a fire hose when you walk in because mm. they start talking in German at you about <laughs> things and nice, you, you know, Oh, we're going to throw the, the Zornhau today. Like what we're going to do. What now? Um, my wife does not participate with me. Not no yet. matter how many times I try and drag not her to the school. <laughs> I'm trying to get her there. I think she'd enjoy it. I would 
say it's definitely not as prevalent in my life as it is in yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have a school. I don't have <laughs> 20 years experience, but it's, it's definitely something that I've, been, I've thought about for a long time before I got into it. Mm-hmm. I, I would say a big part because you have done your martial arts for so long and enjoyed it and done as well as you have. Um, another part is I needed a hobby right. and I looked into like, modern fencing and boxing and a couple other martial arts and the the hema club is the closest one to my house so that was the first one that i tried nice i think the funny part about all this is the whole reason i got started in the first place was watching you in song sudo (laughs) class i forgot yeah that was the impetus that was the (laughs) genesis so when nolan was six i think it might have been younger maybe younger than that because we're four years apart and I started sometime when I was nine or ten. I've kind of lost track. But you started, and you were in there like a solid two or three months before I did. And I remember having yeah. to go and just sitting by the side watching. You you know learn how to tie your belt and do all the blocks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I remember one day I said, "Damn it, I'm gonna get in there too." So I didn't I didn't ask mom or dad. I didn't sign up. I just I just walked in and just stood in the back of the class. It's like I'll start doing this too. <laughs> so they, they flagged me down, and we we got it going from there. Um, but that's that. I think that's that's the funny full circle piece of that here. I remember. God, this is this is so weird. I haven't thought about this in such a long time. I remember being in those classes, and I think I got my green belt, mm-hmm. and you were still a yellow belt, and then you got your brown belt before I did. And I was just, you know, as like a six-year-old, I was like, I'm fucking done. I'm done with this. <laughs> Flip the play school table. <laughs> yeah. So I God, found, I I don't know if I've showed you, I found a picture uh, of the first demo we ever did. Oh, uh, no And we're way. both in orange belts. Yeah. Uh, we both had the pretty horrendous oh, bowl cut. At St. Mary's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did we still have rat tails when we were doing that? I don't know. That? I don't know. Well, if, well I'll, I'll put the uh, I'll put the photo up on the website when this <laughs> yeah, episode do drops. It. Do it. Yeah. Oh God, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so, with your weekly practice, you said you you got in because it's you wanted to find a hobby and it was it was close to the the school there or close to your house. Yeah. So, what's the? Um, are you guys oriented towards competition? Is there, uh, are you going up for, for rank or like what's, is there a goal in mind with so this? There's, there's two big organizations. There's, there's a lot of organizations. <clears throat> there's two that our school uses to not really rank each other. Most of our practice is internal, but um, there's several schools in Florida. There's a couple in Georgia. There's a couple in South Carolina. And um, we'll have like traveling seminars with people, we'll, we'll invite people to come and give a class on an aspect of one weapon that maybe we don't use quite as much. We just had a guy in, um, Josh Farratt, who came in and gave an entire lecture on just doing Zworks, which... Sorry? <clears throat> is a workout. Is it's like, when you have... Is this a workout? It, it is a workout. Okay. <clears throat> and Zworks always work. Um <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of these. In this, there's this going to be a ton of them. Like, just get ready for the puns. Um, it, it's a specific cut. It's one of the master cuts. There's there's only four master cuts in uh, Meyer's book. A, a master cut is one that is both an attack and a defense against an attack. So if you are throwing a master cut, 
chances are you're blocking someone else's cut, suppressing it, and also trying to apply a cut of your own. There's so much to go in there, because if you've already done that, you can go into windings, and you can do all these other things where you retreat, or you can abzug. You, there's there's a lot of stuff. It's It gets really great. It's mm. great. Anyways, we had him come in, and he spent like two hours just doing this one cut, showing maybe don't target the head, maybe target the shoulder, maybe do it lower and try and get someone's rib cage, maybe. And like, that was it. And just the fact that he had a different perspective on it, different mechanics to go behind it, changes in footwork, changes in where your hips are turning. It, it really affected the club and how people started using works in their day-to-day um, training. Mm. One of the one of the big organizations that does actually rank people, I forget the name, but what what you do is you kind of start off as like a journeyman and to be considered a master in a specific type of weapon, you know, if you're doing longsword or rapier or something, you have to travel to another school that practice, practices in this organization and they throw a big party for you. Cool. But then you have to do a hundred passes against people you've never fought before mm-hmm. and win, I think, 70% of them. So you go in blind to face people that you don't know their skill level and you have to win. And like if you are able to do that, they they announce you as a um, there's a specific term for it. I, I need to look it up. Sure. It, it's it's something that people have only talked about in passing because I think only one of our members is actually really into that. Yeah. Um, the other is the SEA, which is the Society for Creative Anachronism. And uh, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like Renaissance fairs, but not really. Again, it's it's that time period of like the 11th century to the 17th century, and you have to show up in clothing modeled after that time period. So you can show up as like a Viking, or you can show up as like an Italian lord or whatever. If you want to spend the money on getting all a of French those. Duke. Yeah, yeah, and and people, you're supposed to have a persona, and you're supposed to be from a specific region. Like, you're supposed to pick a a historical thing that you want to do, and you're also supposed to have the weaponry that goes along with it. So you can't... I think they they allow a little fluctuation in that, but typically if you're, like, a Viking and you show up with a rapier, people get a little confused. You know, it's... It is... There is some anachronism, but they are looking for consistency... Per person. Okay. Um, so that's the other big one. There's a lot of HEMA tournaments. I'm not sure there's a, a body that organizes all of them. I think they're just clubs that put on their own events. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a really big one around Atlanta that we go to every year. There's a couple other small ones, smaller ones that we, we try and go to every year. But um, there's not enough that I'd say we have a competitive season. Right. Does the, the training kind of go all year round? There's not on and off seasons yeah yeah the so we have I, I think they were saying that they have like six months of a long sword manual like start to finish they do six months just so as new people come in it's always new right like we're not having to restart every month for somebody to do something so eventually if you stick around you'll get back to the beginning and you'll learn everything over the course of six months but even then the the club's only about five years old and they they've changed that process several times and I, I came in on their newest cycle of of training this new six month cycle that they've they've re implemented and um, I I think it's working I I do a 
I do okay against people in, in full sparring, so. Did you say you think it's, it's working? It is working. Nice, nice. <laughs> How about you? How do you gear your training? Is it towards? Uh, so as far as goals, um, me, myself, personally, um, you know, my goal is to keep, keep the school running, keep recruiting students, keep helping people achieve their goals. In Tungsudo, like in most American karate studios, uh, you've got your belts, um, you know, your colored belts, and they progress up. And they change all different sorts of colors depending on where you go, what school, what what art you're in. But it, usually black belt is the one where you can kind of tell that's like the the, the goal. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the order of the colors changes. And a lot of people think that black belt is like the ultimate. That's That's the goal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and for a lot of people it is, but, you know, getting your black belt, depending on what style you study, takes anywhere from three to maybe 10 years, um, depending on what, what style you're in. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, I've been in it, I think this is my 23rd year that I'm starting. So yeah. um, I have a four, fourth degree black belt in, in the style. So once you get the black belt, it keeps going. There's still more goals. The, the idea is that you're always striving for perfection in your technique, but that you never achieve it. So it's yeah. kind of this kind of this juxtaposition, like always striving for the goal, but you know you're never going to get there. I yeah. don't know if that's, you know, getting into the philosophical stuff or that's just a good way to sell your <laughs> classes to people so they keep training. It could just be a good marketing ploy. I don't know. <laughs> but um, so at this point in my, in my career, my, my goal is to help other people achieve their goals. Sure. Uh, I want to keep, you know, ranking up and testing. Uh, in the association I'm with, the rank only goes up to ninth don or ninth degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, there's no more. There's no more ranks after that. But Typically, at fourth don, don't you become a master? So th- now we're getting into technical stuff, and this might, we might dive into this more in a, in a deep dive section. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the term master is a is is a, a title, like director or manager. Yeah, it's not a rank. But you get a different belt for it. Correct, correct. So in our specific association, uh, fourth fourth degree is when you are eligible for the title of master. Mm-hmm. Um, the the requirements for both of those are the same. The difference is uh, master is recognized as a full time professional martial artist. Um, we're not going to get into my personal opinion on that, um, <laughs> but suffice it to say, I'm, I'm I do not have the title of master, but I do have the rank of fourth don. So, so what you're saying is, you've been added to the council, but not granted the rank of master. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and we all know I, what comes af- next after that. <laughs> Start killing younglings. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so to, to wrap it up. Uh, I would like to keep progressing. There's no young senior masters. Um, I'm, tw- I'm well, 20. I'm uh, 32. I'll be 33 in a few months. Um, so I'm one of the younger people to get fourth done. And each each time you, you progress, it, it's longer and longer in between your minimum time requirements. So by the time you're into like sixth, seventh, eighth, like everybody in that category is in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So it kind of loses the glamour yeah. after that. It's more of a, 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 a more of a prestige. Not prestige sounds wrong, but it's 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 kind of an honorific thing. 
at that point. Um, yeah. But so yeah, the goal is helping people achieve their goals. I have two full-time instructors. Uh, one will be testing for his third degree next month. Nice. Uh, and I've got two teenagers who are both black belts that they're training for their instructor certification. Uh, and I'd like to help them if they want to someday set up their own studio and just kind of kind of keep it going. As far as goals outside of the official structure of the association of the art, one of the, the main goals for martial arts is to, quote, become one with nature, unquote. And you spend a lot of time meditating on what does that even mean, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's something we might touch on further down the line. But uh, it's kind of just, you know, it's good to be able to kick and punch. But as you get older, it's it's also good to be able to avoid injury. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just maintain your health. Uh, just, you know, live as long as you can. Live as well as you can for as long as you can. Um, and so that's kind of what I think about when I train. Not necessarily like getting the gold medal or who can I kick in the head the most time. Those are fun things to do, <laughs> but um, those goals come and go, you know? So my goal has changed over the years to be like, okay, what's, what's the goal that I can set that'll take me another 20 years to achieve? Not just like six month goal, six month goal, two year goal. Not that there's anything wrong with those. Yeah. Um, I've just done but that a lot. Yeah. So I want to, <laughs> you're, you're to the point where what's a six month goal over right. the course of 25 years. Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Hema, I think you can find, some more there's definitely a lot of mental aspects to it it's it's like constantly playing a full game of chess every time someone moves their hand mm. so there's a lot of thinking there's a lot that you have to internalize and there's a lot of of replaying fights in your head but there's not really a lot of what i would think of as more spiritual parts of it there's not like that longevity of i'm using this as by goals forward it, it 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 really is more about the martial arts it's about self-defense and should should someone approach you and you happen to have you... a long sword oh exactly right <laughs> <laughs> um because a lot of oh, the manuals it, it one of the guys we have likes to read the manuals in the schwarzenegger voice which just tickles me because we're reading these old german things and you know, oh, should someone come at you when you're in the God of Ox, make sure that you bring your hands around your head in the looping motion. Like, you know, they just do things like that. What I'm getting at is like these, these, the martial arts in the Western hemisphere weren't thought of as like an extension of your mind and your body. And there wasn't a focus on meditation with it. It wasn't about how to connect with nature. Like you said, it, it really was... If you know how to do this, you can get hired, you can be a mercenary, you can protect your wife, you can show glory to God, you can do all these things. But there really wasn't a, a way to better yourself through it outside of the the sheer fact that you, and these are in a lot of the manuals, you know the, the knightly and manly art of self-defense. Well, and to piggyback off of that, the, the same thing applies to... Eastern martial arts, the the stuff I said is is a bit more recent developments, but also kind of offshoots of the monastic developments. You think Shaolin monks, that sort of thing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, any martial art was originally designed to like use in battle to kill more people than got killed on your side. True. There's a, a text called the Moyo Dobotanji, which was written in 
the 1700s. Uh, I have a copy of it. It's just about impossible to read. Um, <laughs> but it goes through all of the different aspects of Korean martial arts. So the open hand one, which eventually turned into Tang Sudo or Taekwondo, mm. uh, that's just like one chapter of the book. So there's all the parts on here's how to fight on horseback. Here's how to fight with two swords. Here's how to fight with a halberd and a poleaxe and on a horse and how to swim in your armor. Um, so there's all these other things. And you can find these texts out there. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that stuff's not very practical. Uh, the main thing that you can draw from the open hand stuff is self-defense, right? Because that's something I'm going to use. I, I could potentially use any time. Sure. Uh, you know, fighting with a trident atop a horse is <laughs> not really going to come up very often. So those things kind of fell by the wayside. But it, it, it sounds like um, that Hema kind of focuses more on that. Not more, but like really drills down on that traditional historical. Like this is what they were doing. We're going to practice that. Yes. And, you know, I think a lot of people who practice it now ha- have found focus with it. You know, if you get into anything deep enough, I mean, I, I rode for a long time. Rode as in, in a boat doing crew. A lot of people think when I say rode. Like, what'd you ride, you know, man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have a, a physical connection to whatever body of water you're on. And I spent thousands of hours rowing on the the lakes in South Carolina. And it, it became a relaxing and you know, spiritual experience, especially when I was out by myself, I would go and do 10 or 15 miles in a single and I would see a bunch of birds and I would see a bunch of turtles and I would get to like see parts of the lake that I hadn't seen before and just Mm. go and explore with myself. And a a lot of the people that I've talked to who've been in HEMA for a long time, I think have transformed into that. The, The practice of it is definitely the martial arts. Here's how we're doing it. Here's what we're practicing today. We're working on specific techniques. We're using specific weapons, you know, pair up, beat the shit out of each other, have some fun, and then call it a day. But a a lot of the people who've been in it for longer have used it as sort of a a centering, focusing point in their lives. But I don't think that is a universal trait that they're trying to teach. What do you mean? Like, you're not going to go to a HEMA class and have a day of reflection. Like, you're not, there's mm. never going to be a day where you sit and, uh, you know, sharpen your, not sharpen your swords, because we don't use sharp weapons. You're, you're not going to work on your weapons, work on your kit. You're not going to go in and, and be mindful of what you're doing. Which I know, mindfulness in, in my head is more related to, like, yoga practices, where you're going in and you're kind of thanking your body and you're working through yoga flows and you're feeling aches and pains and seeing what you can do to stretch them out. And you're working with your body to have a connection again with nature and Mm. connection with yourself and those around you. It's kind of a, kind of a weird tangent. I didn't mean to go that far. (laughs) (laughs) What's the oldest person at your club? So we have two older gentlemen, um, I don't know their specific ages, but I know uh, one is in his 60s. So we teach a bunch of different weapons, like I said, but there are different teachers for the same weapon. So the one that we focus on is uh, Meyer. And a lot of a lot of people who've read a lot of different historical books think that Meyer is fancy fencing. 
Um, Meyer took a lot of his information from Lichtenauer, who was a German longsword master during a bunch of Germanic wars. So his his guards are lower, so that you're not using as much energy. He's much more offensive. His his techniques aren't to maim or hurt; they're to kill. Um, so Doctor Bill, the older guy, teaches Lichtenauer. And he likes to make fun of the rest of the teachers for teaching Meyer because they're just these young guys teaching fancy fencing. But he's he's been doing Hema forever. He's been quoted in the he's written forwards for a couple of books. Mm. And he does what's called harness fecton, where you have the full suit of armor, top to bottom. You have helmet. You're talking like full plate sort of stuff? Full plate. Yeah. Um and it's it's odd to see him. When he comes into class, because he walks with a cane and he, he moves a little doddering. I, I think he's got some knee issues. He's, you know, but then he picks up a sword and he just starts walking around and swinging at people and telling them how to pick it up. And, you know, this is the historical context. And he puts on full suits of armor and just goes and, you know, he does half sorting where you grab half a sword because I think movies have changed people's ideas of that. Like, oh, you have a sword, you can cut through armor. That's not how that was. Oh, we can do a whole episode on movie movie oh, yeah. myths. Absolutely. So he's, he's an older, yeah, he's in his 60s, um, and he's, I don't think he's planning on stopping anytime soon. Nice. How about the youngest? How young do you guys uh, go? So we actually don't let anybody in younger than 14. Mm-hmm. Um, the weapons are a certain weight, and you know, having a, a kid that might not be able to hold mm-hmm. it properly, just it, it leads to a lot of issues with... They get disarmed a lot. Maybe they get hurt because they get disarmed in the middle of sparring. So the youngest guy we have is 15 now, but he came in at 14. And right. we've had a, a couple of kids come that young. How about you? Um, at my studio, the oldest we ever had was we're in their 70s. Oh, wow. Uh, my first three students that signed up were all in their 70s. <laughs> so I was surprised when the first one signed up. By the time the third one signed up, I was like, "What the hell am I? Why? <laughs> What's going on here?" They're like, "All I'm because it was only it was me and a bunch of septuagenarians." Uh, <laughs> anyway, they all have stopped training since then. That was mm. you know ten years ago. And then the youngest I've ever had at my studio was you know four or five something like that. Funny side story. I've had many cl- I've had many phases where we have young groups of kids they don't always stay they go and try new things so we'll have times we have a bunch of young kids and then we'll have a year or two where we don't have any young kids and in one period we had only one kid he was four or five something like this sure and he was super stoked we only do a half an hour at a time it was just me and him on the mat it's uh it was in the middle of a uh, like a pilates like a yoga studio big hardwood floor and we put mats down where we're going to be working out and we're doing our kicks and our punches and walking around. And at some point, I notice uh, that there's the, the, the mats are getting wet here and there. And I put two and two together. Um, and I said, hey, Steve. It's not his name. I'm changing his name. I said, hey, Steve, do you, uh, do you need to go potty? And he shakes his head no. And I was like, well, I guess, I guess not anymore, right? So I said, we need to go. Let's go talk to mom. So we went outside. And I said, hey, um... I think Steve had, I th- no, I said, I think somebody had an accident. And she goes, was it Steve? I was like, <laughs> <laughs> He's the only kid in the classroom, lady. Like, it wasn't me. <laughs> She's like, so are we done? Are you really asking? Like, does he have, he's, he's, 
he's all piss covered. Like his his <laughs> clothes are covered in piss. Like yeah, you have to leave. Like or change clothes. You have to go. Yeah, he's not gonna be grappling anybody no, with that. No. But anyway, so we always have um some young kids coming and going. Uh, but this kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, traditionally you wouldn't put you wouldn't put any females in a class and you oh, wouldn't no. put anybody younger than fighting age in a class. But as things have gotten more popular uh, in the West, it's kind of transitioned from this is something you need to learn to survive in war to mm-hmm. this is something fun. Yeah. Right. And there's that transition was a long time, took a long time. And there's a lot of details that we can go into about that. So with, you know, I know, I know some instructors, they go as young as three. Oh, and it's, and it's almost a totally different practice of that. It's more like you're working on the gross motor movements, jumping and catching and stuff that kids need to develop at that age. But it's, it's quite far removed from seeing, you know, two adults practice. Right. Um, but I do like the fact that where we are these days, it spans. I mean, if you can stand up, you can train in something. Yeah. And even if you can, if you're at the other end, if you're wheelchair ridden, uh, there's a guy in our uh, region who's testing for his black belt this year and he's in a wheelchair. Wow. Um, he's, he's a younger guy. He's not, it's not due to age. Yeah. Uh, he is, he is a, a physical handicap, but even then, like his instructor still worked with him and let him come to class and they, he, they pushed him just like everybody else. And now he's, he's training for his black belt too. Yeah. So it became more of a, what do you want out of it? Sort of yeah. thing. Not necessarily like, this is how we kill the most Japanese people. <laughs> it's like, do you, what do you, what do you want to get out of it? Um, one of my instructors was telling me that one of his instructors was an older guy who had some hip issues and he would fight on a stool. Yeah. Like he would, people would come up and he would sit on his stool with his rapier and they would come at him and he would, you know, push their sword out of the way to get the gains or, you know, he would, he would void their attacks. Again, he's, he's essentially a Pell. He's a sitting target and he would win and just, nope, you're dead. Sorry. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting to see that, I mean, it, it's sports, you know, and, and anything that is labeled as sports now, if, if you can move, you can do it. Right, right. So, like I said, a lot of these martial arts, uh, a lot of the, the Western manuals, they were written by masters of their, a lot of them did more than one weapon. Some Some of them are famous for only one. One that I think a lot of people know, thank you to uh, the Princess Bride, is Capofero. He did more than just rapier. And uh, just a small aside, the swords that they're using in Princess Bride are not rapiers. They're side swords. But that's, that's again, we can do that Hollywood myth one. We'll get there. That'd be such a good episode. <laughs> so a lot of them wrote to become essentially uh, masters at arms. So, hey, I'm really good at this weapon or these sets of weapons. I can come and train your men-at-arms or, you know, train the, the master. Like in, a, in a militia? Correct, yeah. So they would write their manuals and they would print it out so that they could go to these courts and give their books and say, like, here's my manual. Tell me if you want to learn this and I'll, I'll, you can pay me and I'll stay here. Right. Um, so that went on for a long time until it, it kind of got phased out. You didn't really have masters-at-arms training people in that sense uh weaponry change so you know when you had your your arming swords your sword and bucklers your long swords uh, there's 
a lot of different ways to move your body and there's a lot of different ways to position your swords and and it's a lot more to think about as you start getting to where you're getting the longer skinnier pointy weapons the i wouldn't say they're easy but they are less complicated systems it, you know to kill someone with a long sword you got to cut off a limb or you got to cut through some organs or you got to you know poke them in the head real hard <laughs> like there there's a lot of intent that goes into killing someone with a long sword right killing someone with a rapier or even a side sword something that's pointy it's it's sticking with the pointy bit right and it's not even that far just because of medical history like if you could stab someone an inch and a half into their belly they're dead right it, it might not be immediately but they're going to bleed out they're going to go septic something's going to happen and they're going to die so as you start getting towards those skinnier weapons you're also starting to get firearms right. so they're phasing those out they're becoming sidearms and you know you're getting those smaller and smaller swords until eventually at this one people just hate you get the spadroon the which what? The Spadroon, S-P-A-D-R-O-O-N. And it uh, is the the worst sword that has ever been invented by anyone ever. I'm sure that? someone, uh, it just, it was, it was too short to be used as an effective rapier in battle. It was weighted improperly. It couldn't really cut anything. Just like, it didn't work as a sword. So it's a sword that's not a sword. Mm. Uh, it was it was mid 1800s, mid late 1800s. So you still had cavalry, you still had cavalry swords. So you still had sabers and things. Mm -hmm. Just did not hold up against actually fighting with a sword. Mm. Um, but around that point, because fighting is becoming more long range, you're you're worried yeah. about even trench warfare. Like you're not going to use a sword in that. You want right. a, a gun. Um, in the late 1800s, people started wanting to fence for sport it wasn't just dueling and honor and seeing people on the battlefield it was hey this is fun and people started dusting off these old manuals and practicing in the late 1800s it, it came over to the u.s uh, i believe around the 1950s um maybe a little bit earlier than that but it was never really big sport fencing is really where it took off the the fencing you see at olympics right um using epes and foils and those they're not the same as rapiers. They, I think they started kind of as smaller rapiers and through through the centuries have really changed into something totally different because fencing foils now are essentially car antenna. Like they're, they're bendy and whippy and like it's not about how do I kill someone. It's I made contact with them, I win. So it's, it's totally different. Fast twitch, it's just touching and then winning. So like their competitions aren't really about using historical manuals and fighting it's it's sport fencing right so these you and i have sat through lord of the rings a dozen times and you know like every sort of you star wars where they fight with light swords and i'm sorry what is that <laughs> you know there's space wizards fighting with light light sticks <laughs> um they i was always fascinated by that i was in and I'm typically very uncoordinated and very bad. So the point in my life that I'm at now, uh, you know, working a 40 hour job and, and trying to stay busy and, and also trying to exercise to be healthy, it made sense to want to try a sport like this. Mm. So 
there's there's not really I, I know that yours has a, an actual lineage of people who've learned from predecessors and ours really all do come from books i mean i i, I think one of our instructors has a sort of lineage that he can say, you know, I trained under this person and this person trained under that person. And they were one of the first people to, to bring HEMA to the United States. And you can go back like that. But two of the instructors that we have trained in other martial arts, they have a lot of judo, um, Kali. So they have a lot of other hand to hand weapons, a lot of short daggers and, um, machete kind of weapons. So they had that, that, single hand sword system built in but they started doing hemo where it's specifically european weapons when it, it, they're very different movement sets but it's pretty much first generation for a lot of people yeah so it, it's really just interest in fighting with swords <laughs> and so where where does that information come from like where are these manuals coming from um so you can you can typically get reprinted copies there are random companies that will do a one-off of like a, a, a Capoferro manual. You can find them. Um, when they're printing them, they're cheap, but typically they don't print them. So you kind of have to hunt for them on Amazon or know somebody who has it memorized, mm-hmm. <laughs> which not many. But there is a big organization online uh, called Wichtenauer, and it's a wiki based off of Lichtenauer. Put them bum. See what you did there? Yeah. Um, and a lot of these people have taken um, images of the original manuals and translated them and put them online so that you can read page by page what the original manuals have in them. Right. So it's it's really interesting to see because they have it split up. You can, you can view the pages by masters, by weapons, by century. They have a lot of the context in it because they, you know, they have to take the literal translation and give it to you and a lot of people will put footnotes like hey when men and women got upset at each other they would have marital fights and the way they figured that you know they sorted that out was they would put the man in the hole with a mace and the woman on ground with a bag and a stone we don't condone men and women fighting in this way but this is what the manual says yeah that's that's some Tallhoffer stuff like that's that's a real thing you weren't supposed to hit a woman ever because it was extremely looked down upon if you took a weapon to a woman but he wrote this big manual on like all right give them a weapon and an advantage and then it's okay to fight a woman (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh yeah a lot of historical context in in the the wickton hour they they do a good job of explaining why certain things were used i don't know if my wife would be into that i don't think anybody's wife would these days i don't think anybody should do that (laughs) can you get in the hole let me give you the maze. <laughs> well, the, uh, you so hold this. The the you know if the man drug the woman into the hole, he was correct about the argument, and if the woman dragged the man out of the hole, she was. Mm. So she could she had a bag with a, a rock in it, and she could wrap the bag around his neck and pull him out. Um, there's, <laughs> God, it's so bad. It's so bad. There's this one picture of the guy essentially suplexing her into the hole. And all you see is feet coming out behind him. It's so <laughs> but again, like, no, I did the dishes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, and it's just, it, it's weird. It's weird to be like talking to people about sport fencing now with long swords and, you know, all the appropriate things and things that'll get you kicked out of tournaments and then turn around and read this 700 year old manual of like, no, 
You were right about that. Here's your mace. Go sort it out. Get in the hole. <laughs> how about you, though? How so, about, how about your? How did you get into it? How did how did it come to you? I guess. Mm, that's a good way to put it. I didn't find it. It found me. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> found the martial art you did. Mm. <laughs> um. So it's uh, like I said, it's Korean style. And we're not going to go too much into history lesson, but, um, you know, Japanese, Korean, Chinese, this triangle, there's, they haven't always historically got along. You can't say. And no matter what, which way you put it, uh, somebody's going to take offense to the way that you describe it. So we're just going to leave it at, they didn't get along. (laughs) Um, And the style that I train, Korean style Tang Sudo, related to Taekwondo, they both came from other styles uh, Mudaquan is the name of one. Subakdo, Subaki, Tesuda. It's all basically like open hand fighting. Sure. And it was, you know, it's a form of, of self defense. There weren't, there's not too many weapons in this style. And the ones that are, are items that you can, that double as other things. So staff, bow staff, you know, being just a rake that you took the head off. Um, nunchucks being uh, either uh, grain threshers or horse bridle that you've disassembled and thwacked somebody with. Um, And the reason for that was uh, when the uh, Japanese had invaded Korea, you weren't allowed to have any weapons. So all the the sword training and lance and spear and stuff that kind of, I didn't say died out, but you couldn't just practice it out in the open. Yeah. So a lot of stuff was practiced kind of underground. And, you know, if you go even further back, a lot of trade between these same islands, Okinawa, Japan, Korea. So things, knowledge was traded back and forth. So it's, it's impossible to draw a line that's saying, like, here's D, that came from C, which came from B, which came from A. Uh, it doesn't, it's more like a, it's more like a spider web. So these things kind of fed into this and uh, these two things kind of uh, helped this form. Um, another style that um, you might have heard of, Hapkido, it's another Korean one. There's tons of moves in our style that look just like Hapkido. So it's not one came from the others. Like they both kind of came from something. One went more kicking and punching and the other one went more trapping and locking, that sort of thing. Sure. But yeah, basically came from how do you fight in war with weapons to, you know, what can you use for, for self-defense to, you know, what's a fun thing you can teach kids that want to learn martial arts. Yeah. Um, but then once you once you get into it long enough, then you start to go back and kind of what you're doing, look at the old stuff. Like, okay, well, what's the real aspect here? There's a lot of jumping and spinning kicks in Korean martial arts. Uh, and one illustration that I've seen in books is that's to take somebody off a horse. When mm. you don't have a horse. So somebody's coming at you with a horse and you don't need to level the playing field. You know, a good jump spin kick's not going to, you're not going to win the battle, but you'll knock them off the horse. And then we're, we're kind of at a level playing field here. Sure. Um, so that has been going on for a while. After the Korean War, we had a lot of American troops stationed in South Korea. Yeah. Working with some of these Koreans and the knowledge was shared. And then when those guys came back, to the States, they brought it with them. And then other guys from other Koreans, other masters from Korea also brought it to the United States at several different periods to try to establish 
their own organizations. And there's several people, including uh, the founder of our association, did, did, did the same thing, went through many changes, many developments. It was called many different organizations. And that was just one guy. And there's been multiple people who have done that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of just come over, appeared, and, and grown in the United States many different times in many different places. And I happened to, we happened to stumble into a studio in South Carolina where you had this kind of obscure Korean martial art being taught. Yeah, because there, there was another martial arts studio like 200 feet down and across the street mm-hmm. from that studio that was totally different. It was like... Shore and Ryu. Which is another stand-up kicking and punching martial art that has yeah. nothing to do with with <laughs> Tang Sudo. So yeah, we've we've covered a lot in this first episode. We, we've we've talked a little bit about our own personal history, and then also kind of the overarching capital H history of yeah. the styles here. Um, and I think we're gonna we're gonna start to kind of wrap up the episode here. We've got. Nolan, you and I have got a basic outline for what we want this season to look like and some of the things that we hope to touch on in future episodes um, are are things that kind of join these two together but also shows the differences. So we want to talk about, you know, basic moves and footwork with both of them. Uh, I know one episode we want to talk about the different weapons that you use in both styles and which ones do they have in common, if any. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we could, you know, also look at some of the major differences and similarities just in the styles overall. Um, maybe even looking into, in this modern day and age, the similarities in like tournaments and competition, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think I also, at some point in this season, I want to give people like an opportunity if they're listening and want to try something out. Like, how do you take the first step into to jumping in? Yeah, because you know that I mean? that um, I, I feel especially as an adult, it's it's definitely harder to try new yeah. things, knowing where to look and who to talk to, and just not feeling silly doing weird movements with your body. Because mm-hmm. when it's not refined, throwing a punch or a kick or you a sword, yeah, you can hurt yourself. You can you can just look silly, and yeah. sometimes the silliness is something that you just gotta be okay with. And maybe some some things to look out for of what not to do as well. Yes. That's something I think we could both offer some information on. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm full of it. You are full of it. <laughs> we definitely also need to have like a movie episode. Oh yeah. We need to, we need to put that on there. Yeah. All the um, famous sword fighting. But yeah, I think, I mean, there's so much to talk about You know, an hour, an hour episode for each of these topics it just footwork alone, yeah. just footwork alone. I, I can see us doing four or five episodes on because like, oh, where to put your feet and when to when to weight the front versus the back and when to, you know, go into a horse stance, when to bring yourself lower to hit your opponent, when to jump, you know, just, oh, oh, oh. Well, we as far as foot position, I usually find that the easiest position is in your mouth. Yeah, well... It comes I, up I mean, pretty often with me anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to win, it's a good place to put it. Yeah. And in the meantime, if you want to check out uh, what we're doing in our Tang Sudo studio, you can go to commonwealthtsd.com or just Google Commonwealth Martial Arts. 
Um, you can find us online. Feel free to drop us an email. Uh, just check out what's going on. If you're in the area, feel free to swing on by. Um, anything else we should cover with our audience before we wrap it up for this episode? Well, I definitely want to give a plug to all of our other shows. Uh, if you mm, enjoy yeah. listening to our voices, go to finalplank.com or search Final Plank anywhere you find your podcasts. Yep, yep. Um, <clears throat> I will say, yes, and I will say if this is your introduction to Final Plank, this is the odd one. Yeah, this is the oddball where we're like <laughs> serious and using facts. Yeah, the other ones are a little bit sillier. A little zany. Should put a lot of zany. Mm-hmm. Uh, should put a smile on your face though. Yeah, um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Final Plank. We we have a company email if you have suggestions or questions, or if you just want to send us a line and tell us that uh, you like our content or. You have constructive criticism you want to level with us, that's good too. And that email is <laughs> finalplank at gmail.com. I figured it was on the website. That's important too, information. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. All um, right. Cool. Well, we will see you guys next time for Martial Parts, the show where we talk about different parts of martial arts. Oh, man. That sounds so sexual now that I said that. <laughs> martial Parts. It was going to be martial farts, so this is, I think it's a step up. Yeah, yeah. All right, bye everybody. Martial Parts is produced by Brent and Nolan Lacey. Theme music was composed by Jared Bookbinder. Martial Parts is a production of Final Plank Media.